There we go. It's easy to say, I do, in a wedding vow, when things are easy, when there's peace and calmness, before sickness sets in, before financial struggles hit. It's easy to, to make those promises to one another when all is well. Your biggest worry is, what's the honeymoon going to be like? But you know, what if in those marriage covenant promises to one another, as things began to get hard, as they become tough and challenging, as sickness sets in, financial woes begin, as life just simply becomes hard? What if in, instead of both partners, both spouses, remembering that marriage covenant and laboring to keep it, only one spouse began to uphold that covenant? The other forgot their set of promises and, and took liberty and freedom to do as they pleased, not caring to honor their spouse in sickness and in health, in good and bad. What happens? The one spouse that's being faithful is, is one, not going to like that very much, and, and the spouse that's doing that is not honoring the marriage covenant, the promises that they made to one another. Well, let me ask you something. What about a covenant that's even greater than that of marriage. I'm talking about a covenant we make with God. Do you know God invites us to enter into a covenant relationship with Him, with a set of promises? He calls us to uphold certain things, to remain faithful in that covenant. He extends it by His grace. The covenant faithfulness is called for. And that's what we see as we come to Exodus 19 this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Exodus 19. We will be looking at the whole of this chapter this morning here in Exodus 19, 1 through 25. While you're turning there, uh, we've been slowly working our way through this book of Exodus. Seeing how God's glory is being unfolded. Seeing how God is at work to make His glory known to the ends of the earth. He's already done so uh, before Egypt and the people of Israel as he crushed the Egyptians, as he crushed their ten supposed gods. He defeated them. He parted the Red Sea, delivering the people of Israel across and then crashing it back on the Egyptians. The Lord is, is provided for his people as they wander in the wilderness, as, as they're journeying towards the promised land. He's provided water turning it from bitter to sweet. He's provided water out of a rock. He has provided the means for victory in defeating the Amalekites. He has provided all of this. God has been at work doing this. But as he reassures this relationship with his people, he, he's going to call them into this covenant. But before they accept, he wants them to know, what does it mean to walk in covenant with me? What does it mean to be my people by my terms, not yours? And he shows that there in Exodus 19. So hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 19, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, 
While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of Gilm, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. As we think about this, we need to see the covenant obligations for both the people of Israel and those of us who are following King Jesus. For this is not just left to the Old Testament. Lord, the Lord Jesus himself told us in the 14th chapter of Luke's gospel that we need to count the cost of what it means to follow him. 
That we don't go to war without counting the cost. We don't go to build a tower without counting the cost. Therefore, as we consider God's covenant, we need to consider the cost in which we are called to be in relationship with God as defined by Him. Therefore, the main idea, I think, of Exodus 19, and therefore this sermon, is this. God's people... Enter his covenant with him by his grace. But in that covenant, we have an obligation to be a people set apart who are on mission for his glory. Let me repeat that. God's people enter his covenant with him by his grace. But in that covenant, we have an obligation to be a people set apart who are on mission for his glory. And we're going to look at this in three points. Point number one, a kingdom of priests. Point number two, a consecrated people. And point number three, a holy God. Let's look at point number one, a kingdom of priests. On the third new moon, we see uh, here starting in, in Exodus 19.1, the people had gone out of the land of Egypt. Uh, they were journeying roughly 70 days they had, pa- had passed since they left the land of Egypt after the Passover. 70 days is what they've seen God be at work and providing for them. He's provided quail. He's provided manna. He's provided the water they need. And now they have come to Sinai, to the foot of the mountain, the mountain in which God will meet them and give them his law. And that's where they have come. But in the heart of this, as they come to the mountain, Moses alone goes up to the mountain to meet with God. He ascends the mountain to where God comes down and meets him. But look at verse 4 with me. What's the point and purpose mainly here? It starts, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Here God, as he invites Moses and the people to enter this covenant, he first and foremost gives them a gospel reminder. He says, I have crushed your enemies. I have done this. God is the one who has defeated the enemies. He is the one who put the people on his back like an eagle puts her young on her back and carries them through, providing protection for them. God puts his people, Israel, on his back and delivers them like a mother eagle on his wings. This is a a great reminder for us here and now. God invites a people to himself to enter covenant. And it is first and foremost by his grace this goes out. It's what he did, not what they did. In fact, the people are going to be warned in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. This is what it says there. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of 
of Egypt. God enters into covenant with the people, not because of anything they had done. In fact, the very warning is a warning against them from becoming boastful and arrogant and thinking that they were somehow special apart from God's grace. And yet he extends it because of his faithfulness, not the people's. He was faithful because he had made promise to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. And he is going to keep his promise. And he wants his people to remember that. I am extending this to you by my grace. It is by my grace alone. And yet I extend it to you. The Lord therefore invites them to enter this covenant based upon his grace. But that covenant has obligations. It has duties that are to be carried out to be faithful in that covenant. But what is extended by grace, there are covenant obligations, a response to that grace. And God sets these terms here in what follows in verses 5 and 6. He says there in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed, if then you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. This if-then statement. The invitation is by God's grace, and yet to keep the covenant faithful it is conditional based on this if-then statement. If you will do this, you will be my treasured possession. It's not saying just simply because you're an Israelite, you're going to automatically be entered into this. If you will be faithful, if you will hold to my covenant promises that I am about to establish with you, then you will be my treasure, possession. And it goes on to say there in verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You know, again, just think back to the picture of marriage. We expect both parties of the marriage covenant to hold to that covenant, to keep their part of it, to be faithful in it. In fact, we, we see the only condition for divorce laid out in the New Testament by King Jesus himself is that of adultery, of one breaking that covenant, faithfulness. And here's the catch, though. God's not going to break his covenant faithfulness. It's our own sinful hearts that will. It's our own hearts that will break this covenant faithfulness time and time again. And that's what the covenant promises is showing here and teaching us. We need to be faithful. We need to be faithful because he is going to be faithful. We have a set of responsibilities as we enter into relationship with a holy God. We need to hear what it means for God to speak to us. To hear his voice, to obey his voice and keep his covenant. Brothers and sisters, God speaks primarily through this, the pages of the Bible. In fact, it warns us that anyone who adds or, or takes away from this word 
is not faithful to uphold the whole of this word. That is faithfulness. We need to make sure we are actually hearing the voice of the Lord and following Him and obeying Him. That's what covenant faithful means. But in particular, it goes on here to specify in, in this fifth and, and sixth verse here. It goes, says, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. So in other words, you're going to be my rich treasure. You're going to be the treasure that is guarded and protected of the, in the castle that belongs to the king. It's his high treasure. What's remarkable is not that what follows in saying that all the people of the earth are his. The very fact that he is calling any part of that people his treasure possession. All of creation belongs to God. Everything we see. Every person, every part of creation was created and designed by God. He said it's his handiwork that is seen here. We all were made in God's image. That's one of the reasons we want to advocate for the sanctity of human life. Because these are image bearers of the Almighty God. And yet, God is saying here, not only that is everything His, but He's going to make this one people that enter into covenant with Him His most treasured possession. It's going to be stored and protected and guarded. He's going to richly bless those that are in His covenant by entering into this relationship with Him. But what is the obligations of that? Well, we see that in verse 6 when it says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. To be a kingdom of priests is, is best defined here by Douglas Stewart. He said, Israel's assignment from God involved intermediation. They were not to be a people unto themselves, enjoying their special relationship with God and paying no attention to the rest of the world. Rather, they were to represent him to the rest of the world and attempt to bring the rest of the world to him. Part of the covenant obligation that God has made clear is to be a people who are a kingdom of priests, a people who make him known to the ends of the earth. The Lord Jesus himself has said this in the New Testament before he ascended to the throne. He said, you shall go make disciples of all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Behold, I am with you until the end of the age. The very marching orders of the King is to go and make the glory of God known. Through the means of discipleship. That means reaching the lost for King Jesus. That means building them, equipping them to stand firm upon the confession of faith. It means equipping them to last and endure the faith and not give up only partway through the journey. But to hold firm to that faithfulness until the very end. This is the mission. This is the obligation of which God is calling His people into. 
to be a kingdom of priests. We cannot be a faithful people if we are not declaring the excellencies of God. Not just here amongst ourselves in the safety of our own camp, but going outside the camp, declaring those excellencies of the glory of God. If we can't grasp the fact of God's faithfulness to us and His mercy and grace to us, and that that same grace is being extended to a world in ruins who needs our aid, we miss the obligation of being faithful and hearing His words. We can ask all day long, what do you want of me, God? But unless that starts with what God has clearly given us in His Word, nothing else matters. You can worry about all the secret stuff. If we aren't carrying out what He has called us to, we are not being faithful. Stop worrying about how or, or what we must do in, in the looking at, okay, how do I spend my day today? Well, how does it, it fit with God's narrative to make Him known? And declare His excellencies and live faithfully in line with His commands. If we don't get that right, we're not going to get the other right. And yet this God has invited us to this covenant. Even in the midst of us struggling for it. Brothers and sisters, this is, is not again just an Old Testament. We see in, in 1 Peter 2, which Augie read for us earlier in the uh, service. That we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That we're to make Him known in our lives. To be a people holy and set apart. Brothers and sisters, we're quick to affirm the covenant invitation. But are we quick to accept the covenant's requirements? God, help us to do so. We have been invited into a holy covenant with the Lord our God. But we need to see what it is He has called us to. But again, it is by His grace He invites us. But part of that grace is equipping us in accepting it to carry these things out. Phil Wyken puts it well in, in his commentary. He says, the order of the Exodus is important. First, God delivered his people from bondage. Then he gave them his law. Imagine what would have happened if he had not been, it had been the other way around. Suppose God had said to Moses, Tell my people, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, I will carry you away from Egypt on eagle's wings. In that case, there never would have been an exodus at all. Notice again the order of this. God's not saying... Get this right, and then you enter into my covenant. He's saying, here's my covenant invitation, but here's what's going to be required upon entering it. The invitation's free. Come, enter. But your obligations, once you enter, are these. Because to identify as my people, you're going to be near to me, and I'm going to be at work in you. I'm going to do these things through you. And that covenant faithfulness on our end is a means of His grace being continued at work in us. And that's what we're going to see in the second point uh, in looking at a consecrated people, why this matters and, and why this sanctification process is so crucial. So we see the covenant stipulations given in verses 4 through 6 there in Exodus 19. 
But then in, in verses 7 and 8, we see, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So the covenant obligations are given. They're made known. And then Moses goes down to the people to speak with them and say, Here's what God has said. Do you accept this covenant? Do you accept these terms and enter into this relationship with the Holy God by His grace? Will you be faithful to do what the covenant requires? And the people resound with a yes. They say, we understand the terms and we agree to them. We're going to enter them and we're going to keep them. Friend, let me ask you something. If you are here and have never understood what it means to walk with Christ, this is the covenant invitation, even now. God, by His grace, has sent His Son to die on a cross, to bear us up in Himself, that whoever would believe in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. This covenant invitation is by His grace and grace alone. Come to me and enter this relationship. But it is a costly one. It will cause you to have to follow Him as your King, as your Lord. Some time ago there became a debate, can Jesus be a Savior and not your Lord? There is no salvation without Jesus being the recognized Lord. He is always Lord. And to enter that covenant relationship is, is declaration saying, God, you are my king. I'm going to follow you and walk and march to your orders, not mine. I'm going to march to the beat of your drums, not mine. That's the gospel. So friend, it's extended to you. The question is, are you going to see it and come? That even with this costly call, it's a life worthy of living because there is no life apart from it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father apart from Him. Friend, believe today. But others of you, maybe you've understood the covenant invitation that never considered the cost of that covenant. Maybe you've said, okay, I want to enter, but you never understood what it meant to live faithfully. You need to take a deep look and see that it's more than just saying, I want to accept the covenant reward without the covenant obligation. They go hand in hand. We cannot be God's treasure, possession, His treasure, people, a holy people to Him without following Him. Without walking faithfully in his covenant. Does that mean perfection? No. By no means is that a call to perfection. But there, there's going to be a, a trend in our lives of obedience rather than disobedience. There's going to be more ways we see ourselves growing this obedience than there is breaking it. That's covenant faithfulness. Friend, see the obligations of the covenant. And faithfully follow Him. 
See what he has offered you and see, yes, it is costly, but it is worth it. It is worth risking it all and giving up ourselves and dying to self to take up a cross and follow the king of glory. Anything else is saying we don't believe he's actually that worthy. He is worthy. He alone is worthy and worthy of that obligation because he's going to be faithful when we aren't. But what do we do about this? Well, the people are, are, are told here, Moses is told to, to go down. And it says uh, there in verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear what I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people to, and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all of the people. The Lord calls them to consecrate themselves. This term consecrate means to set apart, to cleanse, to, to be separate from that of the world, to, to mark themselves off. And he gives three ways. We're going to look at the first two here. One we've already read there, wash their garments. Wash their garments. The, the significance of, of this washing garments was, it was an outward sign of what was supposed to be going on internally. To, to wash their garments, they were to cleanse themselves on the outside, but it was to represent what was to happen on the inside. The same with baptism. We, we wash somebody externally, but it, it's a symbol of, of rising anew in Jesus to new life, to a new heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. The same thing here it is this idea of being consecrated, set apart as God's people to cleanse of sin. Be rid of it. The people had therefore to acknowledge their sin. They had to acknowledge that they fell short of the glory of God. They had to acknowledge they continued to struggle and need to wash and cleanse. But the second way that, that we see this is uh, the fact of, of not going near a woman there in verse 15. It says, and he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now, this isn't talking about just mere uh, keeping sexual morality. This is talking about even a husband and wife not going near one another in these days. We see something similar in 1 Corinthians or chapter 7 uh, of this idea of being set apart for the sake of, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Setting apart for a special time of devotion to the Lord. We see this. In verse 5 there of 1 Corinthians 7, it says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So in this time of agreement, they were to agree and set themselves apart, to devote themselves specifically for the coming of the King of Glory. So these two ways that they're being called to, to set themselves apart, to be consecrated. And the same has continued to be true of us in the New Testament. The same of Christians is to be growing in sanctification. Is it neat? No. Oftentimes we like to think of the process of sanctification like a roller coaster. Up and down, highs and lows. It's kind of more like a kid's drawing. 
when, when their lines are all over the place, back and forth, intertwining, that's kind of more of the process of sanctification. It's messy because we are a messy people. It's not going to have straight ups and downs and easy to tell, but there's going to be progress seen over time through it. The sanctification is, is where our character is being made more like that of Jesus Christ himself. Christian, to consecrate ourselves, we are to see that we are going to be entering before a holy God and King Jesus himself one day. And the process of sanctification is our preparing to be before him for all eternity. Think about that for a moment. If you knew you were going to be before God today, what are you going to do? You're going to start getting your affairs in order. But here's the reality. We can't know when that day will come. So why are we waiting? The process is us preparing over and over again each day, knowing His mercies are anew every morning, but growing in that consecration, in that holiness, in that set-apartness. We do so by putting to death sin in us. In particular, we put to death sin uh, of the tongue. We put to death sin uh, of not loving God like we should. To death sins that cause us to hate our neighbor instead of loving them. Brothers and sisters, are you fighting sin to grow in sanctification? Are you just walking through the muck, not considering the fact we are preparing to come before a holy God for all eternity and to worship Him. And the very fact that He has invited us into a covenant by His grace that we do not deserve. These are the means of what response to the gospel actually look like in biblical terms and by biblical means. It's this ongoing repentance Ongoing confession of sin. Ongoing acknowledgement of our ongoing need of King Jesus over and over again. So brothers and sisters, let us be a consecrated people. Let us be fighting sin in every area of our lives. From our tongue to our thoughts. To the way we interact with one another. To the way we use our time. Let it all be redeemed. And us grow in the sanctification of the Lord. But we need to acknowledge then who is God that this fully matters. We see this in the warnings already. Beginning in verse 12 and on really. It says in, in verse 12. Um, you, and you shall set limits for the people all around. Saying take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And that brings us to our third and final point, a, a holy God. We see this idea of setting limits three times in the rest of Exodus 19. Here in verse 12, it says, set the limits. And then Moses goes up uh, and then comes back down, consecrates, uh, gives the warning of, of not going near a woman. And then on the third day, the Lord comes down, thunders and lightnings, a thick cloud of the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast there in verse 16. The people tremble at this. Then in verse 18, uh, 
It goes on and we see, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of Kilim, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. We see as God comes down, as God speaks, both the people and the mountain are trembling from who he is. He then, as, as Moses goes back up again there uh, in 21 and following, it says, Moses goes down, warns the people lest they break through. Uh, also let the priests know here, here the Lord is telling Moses, also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And yet notice Moses' response in verse 23. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Is God forgetting what he said? No, he is testing the people to see, do they actually acknowledge he is a God who is holy and not to be approached? If you know the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe from C.S. Lewis's uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. There's a famous quote in there. We actually have it in our oldest room. The four children are beginning to learn about Aslan. They're beginning to learn about the great lion king of Narnia. And one of them, I believe Lucy, if memory serves correct, says, Is he safe? And listen to this quote. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. <laughs> How many of us approach God in such careless fashion that we forget who it is we're approaching? We want to think of him as, as just a loving father. Yes, he is that. He has shown his love to us in Christ. He has poured it out on us in Jesus. But above all, we need to see the need for Jesus and the fact that he is a holy God. That he is indeed good in every facet of who he is. But he's not safe. He's the king. He's good. But he's not safe. When we begin to actually understand the holiness, the majesty, and the supremacy of God, is when these covenant obligations begin to flow from our hearts. Because until we see who God is in the fullness of His majesty, we're sitting here left thinking and undermining who God is, thinking that we can just go up to Him as we do that loving grandfather. Instead of His one, to humble ourselves before. Our God is holy, holy, holy. This is what Isaiah sees when he sees him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. I'm a man of unclean lips. Friends, do we see God in such holiness and unworthiness even in our faith to come before him? Our salvation in Jesus should lead us all the more to despair at the wickedness of our sin. Our relationship with Jesus should cause us to all the more humbly come before God, saying, I am unworthy. Too many of us instead in, in church want to say, God, I thank you I'm not like this sinner over here. And go down to our house thinking we're somehow justified instead of like the lowly sinner. Lord, help me, forgive me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a man unworthy, not even able to look our eyes to the holiness of God. 
Help us to humble ourselves by seeing the glory of God and marveling in His majesty and worth. Brothers and sisters, we need to see this. We need to see, as Hebrews 10.31, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And yet, knowing that even so, this God, who it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of, has still invited us in. Hebrews 12.18-24 goes on to say this, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. By the blood of Jesus, we are able once and for all to enter the Holy of Holies. Even as the people consecrated themselves, they could not draw near to the Holy God. They had to have a mediator in Moses. Only Moses was able to go into the presence of the Lord. And we have a better mediator than that of Moses in the Son of God, who fulfilled the law and who bled his own blood so that we may live in him. Friends, see that we are invited into the presence of the Holy God at the cost of his own son's blood. And as we are invited into that covenant relationship through that blood, we have much to give him. He has invited us and committed to being faithful to his word to bring us into eternal life if we will believe. But that belief is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing, over and over again, continually trusting in the Lord, taking Him at His word, over and over again, continuing to make much of His glory so that others may know and enter in. The covenant obligations for us Christians have been marked. We are to be a people marked by being a kingdom of priests, that is, evangelists, mission people, people committed to making much of King Jesus. That's part of, our, of an obligation. You know, think about it this way. If I never talked of my own bride, you'd begin to think, do I actually love her? Or if I only talk about her with people I know well and feel safe around, you would still think I, I really don't love her because I'm not willing to share with anyone and everyone. Why are we a kingdom of priests only in safe moments instead of telling of our bridegroom so that a whole world may hear? That's being in love 
with the one who's invited us into covenant with him. That we boast of him the way we would, hopefully, as a loving husband of our own brides. Let's go and declare the excellency of Christ. Let's be a holy people consecrated to the Lord, growing in sanctification. We want to ask, what shall we do? Let's start by being faithful to what God has commanded us in the covenant obligations given here in Exodus 19. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace.